0: Good morning. We're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount this morning and we're starting into chapter 7 which is really the last section of the Sermon on the Mount and that's what we're going to work through this morning and I hope you'll keep your Bible open in front of you as we do that. I wonder if you've ever been on the receiving end of judgment, perhaps a judgment you didn't feel was particularly fair. There's lots of times in our lives that can happen aren't there? Maybe it's that iconic moment whenever you're meeting your new boyfriend's parents for the first time and as you sit across the table from them, the little looks, the tone of voice, the things that are said, maybe the things that are not said, you become aware that you're on the receiving end of judgment and not a favorable one perhaps not even a fair one, but you're left with that feeling that you're not quite meeting the standard that they had hoped their darling son would hit in the world of life partner. Perhaps you use it whenever you're about to confess something to a friend. Don't judge me, but I've just been texting my ex or whatever it is. And it's very easy for us, not just to be on the receiving end of judgment in our lives, but to be on the the judging end of things as well. It's a very human response, isn't it? To pass judgment on other people. And I find in myself, certainly you're at the highest risk just after you've learned the rules about something, just after you've learned the new thing. I remember whenever I learned that you shouldn't microwave things in plastic containers. And for about a month afterwards, any time I saw someone microwaving their lunch in a tupperware box i would say quite proudly shouldn't really be doing that it's not the right thing to be doing perhaps you find that situation in your own life with something trivial or perhaps with something more serious and it's not good for you to be in that position and it's certainly not good for the person on the receiving end of that attitude either is it And the lord has just been unfolding his teaching in this sermon about what it means to live and to be a citizen of his kingdom and i suspect in the lord's mind he was so aware of the temptation that that would bring to pass judgment on those outside and inside that kingdom having just heard all of this wonderful teaching having seen this moral beauty that he had held up for us having having captured that vision so easy it would be for us to start to pass judgment on how much closer to attaining it we were than someone else and so he brings us to chapter seven and to these first uh, few verses that we're going to think about this morning because he knows that that is destructive for us this destructive for the person on the other end of it and it is so destructive when that attitude finds its way into a christian community it is so divisive and so the lord brings us to matthew 7 and these verses that we have in front of us and let's get started first of all he warns us about the danger of self-righteous judgment and those are those are such a, an iconic opening word aren't they judge not lest you be judged judge not lest you be judged probably i would say the unbelievers favorite verse because uh, anytime you express any sort of opinion or disapproval or contend for a christian truth how often are you met with those words how judge not judge not lest you be judged and it's bad enough whenever unbelievers are are passing those words back to you but it's horrendous whenever it's another christian So what does it mean, judge not lest you be judged? Certainly doesn't mean that we should abandon thinking with biblical wisdom and insight, striving to know what is right and what is wrong, contending for what is right and what is wrong, holding up what is true and standing against what what is in error. How do we know that? Well, we only have to read the rest of chapter seven. In fact, we're going to have to read the rest of these verses. We're going to see that we're expected to make certain types of judgment. Fourteen verses later, we're told to be beware of false teachers. Now, how are you going to beware of them if you can't identify them? How are you going to identify a false teacher if you don't look at what they're saying, measure it against the truth of Scripture, and make a judgment? So we're not being told that you're, you're not allowed to think, you're not allowed to have opinion, you're not allowed to discern, you're not allowed to contend for truth, you're not allowed to reject error. That's not anything that's being talked about here. So what is it? It's an attitude of sustained haughtiness, pride, arrogance. That that persisting attitude of superior self-important judgment on others, the critical fault finder, the one who's always looking for that little feeling in someone else, looking down on them from their lofty position of self-righteousness. And that attitude of a self-righteous judgment, criticism on others, that is what we are being warned about here. In fact, the Lord makes clear that in its extremist form, If that self-righteous attitude is consistent and permanent in our characters, that in fact, we will experience the same judgment. Just as verse 14 in the last chapter showed us that not forgiving others would demonstrate that we had never received and would never receive the Father's forgiveness, this attitude shows us that our character has never been redeemed because there is nothing more sinful and human than that desire to build ourselves up and to judge the other. And so if we find that our attitude is persistently and self-righteously judgmental of others, we're told that actually we're bringing ourselves under God's judgment. And we thought about that earlier in the year, didn't we? Whenever we looked at Romans chapter two, whenever Paul, Was writing to exactly that sort of a person the sort of person who who feels themselves to be morally superior and who likes to pass judgment on others and he says actually that standard that you're so keen to hold others to you will be held to it that's what the lord says here isn't it the measure you use will be measured against you I think when we were studying Romans 2, I had shared Francis Schaeffer's analogy about the invisible tape recorder. And it was his brilliant illustration of of how you answer the question, what about someone who has never met God's standard, never read God's standard? How will they be judged by God? And the Bible makes very clear that it's like every newborn human has an invisible tape recorder around their neck. And every time they pass a moral judgment on another person that tape recorder clicks on and records it every time they say he shouldn't have done that can't believe she's done that isn't isn't he terrible for having done that that's so wrong the way he's behaving that's wicked what he's doing all of those judgments are recorded and someday we will stand before God and God if you like plays the tape recorder and says okay that standard that you were so keen to hold others to Let's see how you measure up to it. So the Lord is saying, Judge not, lest you be judged. And that's a warning to you. If you're a churchgoer, perhaps you've been listening in to our sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and you've been captured by the moral beauty and the moral grandeur of the Lord's teaching. The Lord is warning you that if your response to that is to use that to sit in judgment on other people, beware. Beware. Because that shows that you're going to bring yourself under God's judgment. And that that attitude, unfortunately, can still be found in our characters as Christians, not persistent, not the hallmark of our characters or our personhood, but it can still be there. And that self-righteous judgment of others is, is what the Lord is saying we need to flee here. And that's the first application for us this morning. We need to be so careful that that attitude doesn't creep into our lives, creep into our hearts and taint our interactions with other people. That's the danger of self-righteous judgment. And the Lord makes clear that there's a distortion that comes with self-righteous judgment. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your neighbor's eye, your brother's eye, and you don't see the plank that is in your own eye? And the Lord paints this really vivid and and quite comic picture um, of one man with a little, skelp a little fleck of dust or wood or, or, or whatever in his eye. And another man comes along and he has this huge beam of timber, this huge plank stuck in his eye. And yet, despite that he's focusing on the speck in the other person's eye. And the Lord says, why, why do you do that? One of the ways we test people's visions is to get them to look at a thing called an Amsler grid. It's lots of vertical lines and horizontal lines. And if your eyesight's normal, you see vertical lines and horizontal lines. But if there's something wrong at the back of your eye, and the seeing part of your eye is warped, whenever you look at that grid, it is distorted, twisted, out of shape, because something has distorted your vision. I remember one boss telling me once, you know, we never see our own blind spots. And we all know from human nature that we have a huge blind spot for our own feelings, don't we? We have like an electron microscope for the feelings in everyone else. And this huge blind spot for our own feelings and our own faults. And the Lord has asked you a question there. He said, why? Why is that the case? Why is it that you focus on that speck in your brother's eye and you ignore this huge problem in your own eye? And I think we know fundamentally that it's much more comfortable to be focusing on the faults in other people than to be looking at the faults in ourselves, isn't it? You know, the old man within me has a huge ego. And it's very uncomfortable whenever I have to face up to my feelings, when I'm confronted with how I've selfishly prioritized myself over others, over my family or, or, or friends or whatever. It's very painful and difficult whenever I am confronted with the stark reality of a feeling of a flaw in my character. We don't like that. We feel terribly uncomfortable and threatened by that. And it's so much easier to look at all the ways other people are going wrong, to, to, to pick out all of their faults and to stand back and judge them. It's much more comfortable for us, isn't it? And I think it goes a little bit further than that even. I think we find it easiest or or perhaps harshest in our judgment in the faults in others that most closely mirror our own faults. The feelings in other people that most closely mirror the hidden feelings and flaws in our own heart. Perhaps those are the ones that we find ourselves being hardest on. And that's a classic defense mechanism of the mind. It's called projection latching on or projecting onto someone else a problem or a feeling in yourself because you can deal with it on them and you don't have to face up to the reality that it's there within your heart as well and probably the best and most vivid example within the Bible of that is King David and King David who despite having many women surrounding him lusted after one woman who was already married married to a man who was serving in his, his own army and fighting at the front And King David wanted that man's wife for himself. And so he sent an order down the chain of command to have her husband moved to the front where the fighting was the fiercest and he was killed and he took the wife for himself. And Nathan the prophet comes before King David and he starts to tell him this story and it is just a masterpiece about this one poor little farmer who had one little lamb. And it was all he had in the whole world. And his neighbor was a huge and powerful farmer and he had many flocks and many herds and this one little farmer raised this lamb from it was a kid and fed it to him, fed it himself and cared for it himself and brought it into the house. And the powerful neighbor came and took it off him and stole it away. And King David is incensed and and he, he is just filled with this righteous judgment. And he says, who is this man? Who is this man? And Nathan says you are the man you are the man this person you're so keen to judge so harshly it's yourself and so that gives us another application here as we think about the distortion that self-righteous judgment brings us because actually it gives us a chance when we find ourselves wanting to pass judgment on another to stop and to pause And to paraphrase what we've already read, that measure that we're going to use against them, measure ourselves with it. How would I match up to this standard that I'm holding this person to? How do I really meet that standard that I'm so keen to uphold? Is there something lurking in my own life, in my own heart, that I'm so keen to judge in someone else because I don't have to confront it in myself? And there's a very simple way that we can turn something that's a sinful attitude into a sanctifying response. The next minute you catch yourself wanting to pass judgment on someone, stop. Pause. Just think about that standard that you're holding them to. And ask yourself, how do I measure up to this? So we've heard about the danger of self-righteous judgment thought about the distortion that comes from self-righteous judgment and we see then in the Lord's words that there's a disability that comes from that self-righteous judgment as well because after saying why he asks us how how are you going to say to your brother let me take that speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye how are you going to do it the Lord's telling us that that attitude of judgment brings with it an inability to help anyone else with that problem it disables us from being able to help the brother and and we sort of know that from our own life because it doesn't work on either end think about it in, in day-to-day life if your garden was was like mine and has good days and bad days how would you feel if someone came along who you knew their garden was was a complete tip a complete mess and they said you know i can show you how to to fix your garden up I can show you how to tidy things up a bit. You you wouldn't take it terribly well. What about your friend who who can't keep a five-pound note in their pocket for 10 minutes without spending it, whose finances are in complete disarray if they started to tell you about how you should or would or could spend your money? You wouldn't really receive that very well, would you? Because the natural response is, what do you know about this? What do you know about it? it doesn't work on the receiving end, but it actually doesn't work on the end of the person trying to help either. How are you going to help someone whenever you haven't even been able to fix the problem in your own life with the person who you know the best and have the most control over their behaviour and attitude and action? How are you going to do it? So it's spiritually disabling this self-righteous and judgmental attitude. It stops us being able to help others. It stops us fundamentally because of the position that we are in we're not coming at them from love we're coming at them from a harsh and a critical judgment and so we can't help them so the danger of this self-righteous judgmental attitude the distortion of this self-righteous and judgmental attitude the disability that comes with this self-righteous and judgmental attitude but then finally the Lord makes clear that there is a duty for us here firstly to sort that plank out in our own eye we've thought about that a little bit It's not like he says, well, look, it's okay. You can keep walking around with a plank in your eye as long as you don't try and fix anyone else, you know, a sort of a live and let live approach. That's not okay. So we have a duty to to address this issue in our own lives. And we've thought a little about how we can do that, but it doesn't end there because you'll note that the brother, the friend, the neighbor, we're not allowed to leave the speck in their eye either. We're not allowed to sort ourselves out and then sort of go back to our lives and think, well, I really hope he gets his speck sorted out because I'm sure glad I've got my plank out. There's a duty that having got ourselves sorted out, having addressed that issue within our own lives, that we are then to go back to the other person and to take the speck out to help them. And that is so fundamental in the Christian community. We have a responsibility to help each other, to bear each other's burdens, to build each other up but also to hold each other to account. And when we see another going wrong, to help them address that. I told you recently about the time my daughter stuck something up her nose and uh, it wouldn't have been a great response for me as her father to say, well, let's just leave it there. It's not my nose. It's not my problem. You've stuck it up your nose. You can sort it out. My nose is fine. You wouldn't be any sort of a father at all, you wouldn't be any sort of a friend at all, any sort of a, a brother or a neighbor or a fellow member of a Christian church, if that was your attitude, whenever you saw something wrong in someone's life, well, it's not my life, it's not my problem, it's not my issue, I did have that issue, I got it sorted, it's your issue now. That's not what we're called to. But note how by this stage your attitude has changed, getting that plank out of your own eye, Now you're approaching your neighbour, now you're approaching your brother, not from a place of pride, but a place of humility, not a place of self-righteousness, but a place of graciousness, not a place of ignorance. Now you're able to help them from a place of experience. Fundamentally, you're coming to them from a place of care. condemnation of love your own attitude in that moment has been changed and now you're coming alongside them putting your arm around them and saying look let me tell you about a problem I had and I think you might be struggling with it too and here's how I think I can help you and that's the third application for us this morning we have a duty a duty to help each other And finally then we have this last verse in this section that is so severe about not giving to dogs what is holy and not casting our pearls before swine. And that makes clear to us that there is a need for a discernment in our judgment. This is a very extreme verse and some people think it is unrelated to the section before but I don't think that's true. I think this in fact is a counterbalance this is a counterbalance to what the Lord has just told us about self-righteous judgment, to remind us that actually there is still a need for discernment in our judgment. And he paints a picture of a situation so extreme and so outrageous where someone's unbelief has been so consistent or someone's heart has been so bitterly and, 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 and fixedly turned against the gospel of Jesus Christ where they are so determined to do nothing but to mock and to scorn and to reject and to revile and to defile the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that has become their whole character and their whole person that when we see that and recognize it in our discernment, we decide we are not even to present what is holy. We are not even to present the Lord to them because all that does is give them an opportunity for blasphemy. Now, that is an incredibly hard verse to think about. I cannot even imagine a situation in which I would come to that conclusion. And I am comforted that John Stott, looking at his whole life and ministry, could think of one or maybe two moments whenever he felt it was necessary to make that decision. And so, the lord has put that there to remind us that while we are not to have self-righteous judgment we're not to abandon discerning judgment in our lives and so that's our passage this morning the danger of self-righteous judgment the distortion in our vision that self-righteous judgment brings the disability that it gives us in terms of being able to help other people the duty that we have though to help each other and the discernment that we're still required to have in our own lives and we've learned as we go out into our families and our workplaces and live in a Christian community, that self-righteous judgment is an attitude that should be shunned in our lives. But it does provide us with an opportunity when we feel it creeping in to stop and reflect, to examine our own hearts and perhaps repent of some hidden sin that is lurking there. Reminds us the responsibility that we have to care for each other as brothers and sisters, and a reminder that we shouldn't be neglecting using our discernment to decide what is right and wrong in our lives. Let's close in prayer. Our loving God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these precious and awe inspiring words and in the sermon that the Lord preached on that mountainside so long ago. And we thank you that they still speak with power and authority into our lives today. Lord, we confess each of us how easy it is for us to feel a judgmental attitude for others, how natural and how comfortable it is. But we pray that your words would have spoken into our lives this morning. That when we find that attitude in our hearts, that instead we would look at ourselves, we would repent and turn from whatever sin we have hidden in our hearts, and we would come back to you. We pray that you would bless us and help us together, to build a community of love that glorifies you and edifies each other in your name. Amen. We're going to close with the words, O praise the name of the
1: Lord our God.